Good morning. How are you guys? Well, my name is Ben. Um, I'm the worship director. Um, and isn't it great that we've got more than one guy to do that? <laughs> cool. It's neat to have Zach up here and, um, and the guys. Uh, so I was thinking this morning, and um, I've actually been here for six months now, which made me happy. The longest I've ever held a job, so I'm pretty excited. <laughs> so Thanksgiving is officially over. Even though we're still eating leftovers, um, we're allowed now to say Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas. Uh, holiday season is perhaps one of the most joyful times of the year for some. And for others, it can be the hardest time of the year. And if nothing else, it reveals that though many of us are in the same room, we may be in very different seasons of our life. And this holiday season, with all of its expectations, it'll again, like every year, do an overwhelming job of revealing that season we're in. For some of us, we're annoyingly joyful. Uh, we may be in a season of joy. For some of us, we are scroogingly down and uh, maybe in a season of um, wishing others were near. Um, but this, for many of us, um, we were just in a different place. And so we get into this series we call Times and Seasons. Some of us in times of listening right now, of waiting, mourning, celebration. We'll talk about a lot of those things in the next four weeks as a church. Um, and we get from this. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 says this, For everything there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. So as we start this series today called Times and Seasons, um, I'd like to kick things off uh, with a fun experiment, and you have to listen to me for your part of it, or it won't make any sense, and it won't be any fun. You're going to rob yourself of your own of your own joy if you don't listen right now. And you're thinking, "What are you going to ask me to do?" Not much. Um, I'm just going to say, "Everybody, close your eyes, and together we'll count down from three to one, and and then I will do something amazing before your eyes." That's that's. That I know it sounds kind of stupid, but just go with me. It'll, it'll be worth it, I promise, okay? So are you ready? Everybody close your eyes. Good? Nobody's looking at me. Good. And three, two, one. Oh. I just did a backflip. <laughs> now, some of you who know me are saying, I doubt that. And that's perfect, because that's what we're talking about today. What do you do in seasons of doubt? <laughs> Surviving the holidays in seasons of doubt. Now, my backflip illusion, or maybe it happened, it represents a pretty harmless 
kind of doubt. It's actually a good kind of doubt. It keeps you safe. It uh, keeps you from being the focus of uh, a joke. And uh, it's, it's informed by your life experience of never seeing a full-grown man do a backflip on stage at church. Some of you might say, Ben, I love you, but that's not possible. And um, you're probably right. <laughs> we just got a new uh, AED defibrillator thing in the back, and I don't want to test it out today. And so I will not be attempting um, any backflips in the snow. Um, but what do we do when we have doubts concerning much more important things in life? Today, we get to explore that topic by looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke 1. And mostly it's about Zechariah. A little bit of reading to do. Let's go through it in Luke 1, starting with verse 5. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abiah, and his wife Elizabeth who also was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth wasn't able to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. And then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until a child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Now, what's the old saying? If you don't have something nice to say. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what the angel said to Zechariah. (laughs) So Zechariah is living righteous. He goes to the temple for his semi-annual priestly responsibilities. The angel Gabriel finds him. Zechariah smarts off a little bit. And now he can't talk for months. Try going home and explaining that workday to your wife. Not fun. 
at the same time, it's easy to critique him. It's, it's also easy to um, kind of feel for the guy. <laughs> I thought about calling this sermon, when you're doing everything right, and God doesn't seem to be coming through. And I suppose that's sort of a subplot of the story. A little bit of background before we dig deeper. Elizabeth, as the video showed, is older. In fact, I think she's a lot older than what the video depicted. She doesn't look that old in the video. Um, But she's old. Elizabeth, if you looked at her yearbook, you'd find uh, Moses wrote in it. Okay? When Elizabeth was a kid and it rained and the sun came out, the rainbows were in black and white. One time Elizabeth decided to go into an antique store and they just kept her. She's old. Now, during this time, if a woman couldn't get pregnant, people assumed they were cursed. The men, they felt no shame because of that in leaving them. It was culturally acceptable. In fact, it was expected to a degree. But it's really important to keep in mind that this this was a culture thing, not a God thing. Now, her husband, Zechariah, God called righteous as well. He'd been waiting patiently too. The last time God had spoken to a priest like him was about 400 years earlier. And Zechariah likely knew those words well. I think one of the reasons God called the two righteous was that they lived out what was said in those last chapters of Malachi. God had a lot to say to those priests before he was silent for a few centuries. Let's take a look at that. Malachi 2, he says this. He's a little bit irritated. Listen, you priests. This command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies, or I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. Side note, what do you suppose you have to do to make God want to throw you into a pile of poop? That's what it says. He is so frustrated that I think he kind of goes, just to show you how ridiculous this is, after the poo gets on your face from the splattering, I'm going to chuck you in the pile so that you remember What I said, I would remember that. I would remember that if that was my last warning from my boss. If you don't do this, Ben, I'm going to throw you into a pile of... I think this is really funny. I'm going to throw you in a pile... God's going to throw him in a pile of poo. It's ridiculous. But it shows how frustrated frustrated he was. I haven't even said that to my kids before. Yet. Maybe I'm going to start quoting scripture this afternoon. In verse 14, it says, You cry out, Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You're His. And what does He want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart 
and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. A few verses later, I know this is a lot of reading, but it's important. Malachi 3 is... uh, This is said after all that. Look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So though it was 400 years before, Zechariah most likely knew these words. These are the last things that were said and he was a priest. And he was doing all the right things. He stayed faithful while he and Elizabeth prayed for children. And God called him righteous. He also knew that God promised that the messenger of the covenant was coming. But when the angel Gabriel in Luke 1 catches up to him in the temple that day, things don't go the way you think they would go. God sends a messenger. And by the end of the conversation, Zechariah is disciplined and he can't speak for nine months. One of the big questions I had when I was looking through this was, why did God punish Zechariah for questioning the angel, but not Mary? They both said, how? Let's compare the stories a little bit. In Mary's case, the angel shows up. She's very afraid. The angel comforts her with the good news. Mary says, how is this possible? And the angel responds and explains. And then Mary says, okay. In Zechariah's story, the angel shows up, he's afraid, the angel notices that and comforts him, explains the good news, Zechariah says, how is this possible, and how can I be sure, aka, prove it? That's the difference. The angel says, okay, I'll prove it, you won't be able to say, prove it, for nine months. What is the difference in their responses? The answer is doubt. I wonder if after all the time Zechariah had lived a righteous life while waiting for the answer to his prayer, he started to become a little bit impatient and bitter and doubt that God actually heard him. Mary questions the angel, but after she gets her answer, she says, okay. And the angel Gabriel responds to her with grace. Because it's not a sin to be afraid. It's not a sin to say, help me understand. In Mark chapter 9, somebody says this face to face with Jesus. And it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. When a boy's father asks Jesus to heal his son, this amazing and vulnerable thing is said. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus heals his son. So the more I studied this, the more I started to realize that though we go through times of doubt, doubt in its first stages is an emotion. It's something that overwhelms you. It's not a sin in itself. Now, what you do with those feelings, that's important. But to doubt is natural. And it's when we let the doubt fester and turn into bitterness that it becomes hurtful to our relationship with God. To not take your doubt to God in prayer leads to all sorts 
of hurtful things. So if you are in a season of doubt today, I just want to suggest a few things to think about in this season of doubt that you may be in. Number one, know that God does hear your prayer. God hears your prayer. How often do we just get stuck in the routine of praying to God for things, asking Him for things, but not really believing that He hears us? He hears us. God hears you. Number two, be honest with God. Now, practically, if we truly want God to address the doubt and those feelings that we have of doubt or even bitterness, how is he to deal with those things if we won't bring them to him? It's much like settling conflict. If you've got conflict with somebody else, it's not going to get any better until you're willing to have the conversation. Now, I know the answer to that. We kind of say, well, God knows everything. So, But the truth is, he's interested in the relationship with us. He wants to go through the process of us being honest with him and finding out that it's okay to be honest with him so that he can accurately respond to our needs. Be honest with God. It's okay to not be okay. We talked about the value of lamenting this last summer, didn't we? God can handle our doubt. It's when we want to stick stubbornly in our doubt and take the driver's seat and say, prove it, that he kind of goes, okay, no, that's not how this works. Number three is to trust his timing. It is easier to not trust than it is to trust, isn't it? Mistrust feeds that human side of us that says, God doesn't really care for you. So you might as well just do what you want. (laughs) And that's why we like that. Sometimes when we forget to trust him, when he does give us what we've been asking for or praying for, out of our impatience, we kind of go, no thanks, or whatever. In other words, I didn't get what I wanted when I wanted it or the way I wanted it. So no thanks. It's really important to trust his timing. And remember that There are more people that he's interacting with than just us. Not saying he can't handle more than one at a time, (laughs) but just keep it in mind. I love that Bruce Almighty movie. He's completely, completely overwhelmed. You know, Bruce gets to be God for a little while, and he's praying, or he's answering these prayers all night long, just going crazy, and finally makes like an auto reply or something, and everything goes disastrous. At the end of it, God goes, uh, it, or what, Morgan Freeman? Close enough. Uh, he, um, he, he says, uh, Bruce, that wasn't the whole world. That was just like these few blocks in New York. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Number four, perhaps the most important thing is to protect your heart in seasons of doubt. Ultimately, I think the reason we don't want to approach God with our fears and our doubts is because we are more comfortable in our bitterness and our doubt. We more naturally lean into bitterness than we do thankfulness. It takes a deliberate decision to happily trust God. 
If you don't believe me, answer me this. Is it easier to find friends that will come together with you and encourage your bitterness and commiserate with you? Or is it easier to find friends that will come alongside and gently lift you up? Those are so hard to find, those kinds of friends. Protect your heart in times of doubt against bitterness. You have to do it on purpose or it won't happen. Now, every one of these four things is something that I would call Satan's playground. Um, Because if you listen to what he says, it's the opposite. He says, God doesn't hear you. You can't tell him the truth. And if you did, he's probably forgotten. And you have a right to be upset. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Zechariah, like Joseph, would have been totally excused by his peers and his friends to leave his wife, even as a priest, and to go get a new one to give him children. Joseph could have saved himself a very awkward situation. Imagine explaining that to your friends of how your wife got pregnant. He could have taken an easy path out too, but he didn't. Zechariah He prayed, he trusted God, and he waited for a really long time. And like us, at the end of it, I think he struggled with a little bit of doubt. Does God really hear me? How can I be sure? I've waited a long time. You know, he's just, he's frustrated. So my challenge for you is that if you are in a season of doubt today, you push through it with prayer. God hears you. Be honest with him. Trust his timing. Protect your heart. I really think one of the most difficult things to do in life is to learn the discipline of waiting without becoming bitter. I heard a friend one time say that um, wisdom sometimes is just delaying happiness. (laughs) Just waiting and just trusting. You know, it's going to be okay. To have seasons of doubt in your life is totally normal. I want to free you to know that that's normal. Doubt comes to us naturally as humans, but what we do with that emotion is super important. God wants to use those seasons in our life to produce trust, to produce closeness, to help us to to know him better. And we always have a choice in those times to to do that or to put our feet down and just kind of get bitter and feel justified in that. God wants to do something important with your times and seasons of doubt. And it's easy to see in this story that even though Zechariah doubted, he came around. Even though um, Elizabeth waited a long, long time, God answered her prayer and produced something kind of important. John was kind of a big deal, okay? Now, God, you may not be waiting on God to bring you a John. Maybe it's a little Zechariah you're hoping for, but I encourage you to trust his timing and most of all, to choose to protect your heart. Um, 
if you guys are in this kind of season, and this is really difficult to understand, if you're struggling with that anger, that frustration, and you need somebody to talk to, we have people here that can counsel and can sit alongside you and talk and pray with you after service. We can, if you want more time to talk about that, uh, we can schedule a time in the week. I'm just speaking very frankly about that because what you do with frustration and doubt and bitterness right now is going to impact the trajectory of this holiday season for you and your family. And so we're here, we're here to say that if you are feeling that way, talk to us and, and we can help, okay? Now, if you're thinking, is every sermon going to be such a downer <laughs> for Christmas? No, no. Um, we wanted to address seasons of doubt and difficulty first. Um, we'll ramp it up and get all happy clappy toward the end. <laughs> Okay, don't, don't worry. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity in times of doubt to choose to trust you. And God, we also recognize that it's only by your spirit enabling us that we have the power to follow through. God, help us to follow through. Help us to trust you. If we're in difficult situations that cause us to doubt, that tempt us to be bitter, help us. Help us to be a people that live in a way that shows the world that we have trust in you. God, we know that you care for us, especially when we're, we're down. God, we know that you're near the broken in these times. And God, I just pray protection over those of us here who really struggle through the holiday season with so much joy going on all around us. Some of us just don't feel that way. And so we pray for, for healing and we pray for your presence to be tangible both through your spirit and through each other. God, help us to navigate through this season in a way that, that honors you and, and that also brings us joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.